I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc., all one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today on An Actor Despairs, we have such an amazing talent, someone who's grinded for such a long time, and I have such immense respect for, Asif Mandavi. You know him from projects like Spider-Man 2, Evil, and he's also been on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart as a correspondent. He has so much to say, and it's such an enlightening journey. Asif, I'm so grateful to you. Here it is. Asif Manvi, how you doing, brother? Welcome to An Actor Despairs. Thank you for having me. Man, I'm such a big fan of yours. You know, I, I, I've watched your career blossom for a really long time. Tom oh. Fontana is a friend and did the show. So I discovered you on Oz. Yeah. And then uh, you just kind of took over the world, man. I mean, you what yeah. a career you've had. I mean, everything you've done from The Daily Show, like Spider-Man, you know, the internship, now Evil. It's just been, I mean... Talk about bouncing it with like, you know, ruins, like drama and comedy. You have literally every actor's dream career. I've, you're one of my favorites and I've, I've had so much tremendous respect from you since I guess Oz aired when I was eight. So I've wow. really known about you for a long time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, that's all we need to say, really. I think that's good. I mean, <laughs> there we, we go. We're good. Wrap it up right there. That's, <laughs> that's all that needs to be said. Um, no, I've been very fortunate. I've gotten to do, uh, thank you, by the way. That's a, uh, a lovely, uh, it's nice to to know that somebody feels that way, you know, Dude, because I we, remember, I, 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 I kid you not, in this like podcast, a reoccurring theme is about how to take a scene over and like when you don't have a lot of dialogue. And right. what you did in Spider-Man 2 when you were doing the Joe's Pizza thing, you just were, you nailed that scene. I remember like, I reference people that all the time. I'm like, you want to watch a guy take a scene and just you know, it's not a lot there to work with. It's not Spider-Man dealing with his death. You just right. owned it and made it yours. And that's yeah. like what, what I try to encourage actors as I'm an actor to, to learn how to do, how to, how to be great in things that don't give you a lot of material. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting, you know, that, that it's so funny that movie 
I mean, it's it's Spider Man, so you know it's got a huge. But this was fan before base. the comic book era. You like did one of the originals. Yeah, I mean, it was, and I think actually, in retrospect, maybe the best Spider Man of all. Like, I it's, agree. It's, got a, it's an incredible script, and it was written by. I'm forgetting his name now, but he wrote Singing in the Rain. And, you know, and it was a real, it's a beautiful story that one. It wasn't just all action. It was like a real, um, there, was, there was real drama in it. Yeah, it was very introspective. And, and yeah, and it was a good one. And, 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 and you know, it's a funny thing because it, the fans of that movie and, and the Spider-Man are, are like, they are huge, you know, and it's I still, you know, I did it. it you're like, it's like not, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, so really. in an actor's career, it sort of is like, yeah, that was a long time ago, but people still talk about it to this day. And it, and it was, and it was an interesting thing. I'll, I'll tell you a story because it was like, um, do we have time for a story? Oh, we got plenty, we got all the time <laughs> in the world. Tell me the story. It's like they always say that on talk shows, don't they? You have, you have time for a little story, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I had just done a movie. Uh, called The Mystic Masseur with Merchant Ivory. Oh, wow. And I had played the lead in this little movie. It was, it, it was a, a Merchant Ivory film with shot in Trinidad. I was the, I, I was the lead and uh, Ismail Merchant had directed it, the late Ismail Merchant. And, um, and I was feeling pretty good about like, you know, I was like, okay, I got this, I got this little, maybe like a little movie career happening right now about yeah. to start. Because if this movie comes out and it's kind of, people like it, you know, this could be lead to more things. And I was kind of feeling good. And I came back to New York and then I had this um, uh, audition for Spider-Man. And it was literally like just that one little scene, right? Yeah. Like that, it was two scenes. It was like almost like one and a half scenes. Yeah. And... I, what, what is it, Joe's twenty minute guarantee or something? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe's twenty minute guarantee. Was that right? it, yeah. was like, it was like this pizza guy, and it was like you know. And I thought, I was like, I don't know. Do I want to do this? Like you know, like I want to. Do I want to get something meatier, something bigger, or something? Yeah. You know, like, wait for. Do I want to do this little like? And I had done these kinds of parts before, you know, like the, a the co-star, and, guest star equivalent of, of yeah, films. And like, and like, yeah, and like when you're a brown actor in Hollywood, you know, at that time in the nineties in the late nineties and early two thousands, it was just all the roles were like deli owner, cab yeah. driver, you know, like the, and so I thought, Oh, this is like, it's funny the, the the roles that I have said no to are the ones that have always been iconic for me in my career. <laughs> like, oh, really? you know? yeah. And so like, it, it's like, it's like the roles that I initially said no. And then eventually did like, I, I feel like, they're always the ones that are like, sort of sh uh, have like gone beyond what I ever thought, you know, totally. so this was like, so what happened with this was I, I actually, um, I went down, they, they said, you have an audition. I said, okay, I'll audition for it. So I went down and Diane Crittenden, who was the casting director, she took me to the set because they were already shooting um, Spider-Man at the time. And I met Sam Raimi and I went down and auditioned for him in Sam's trailer. Like we, we were on set, like out somewhere I don't know, in Long Island and they drove me out and, and, um, I auditioned for him and uh, he liked me and then they, and then they cast me. Right. And the, and whatever, the money was fine, whatever, you know, and I said, because I had just come off this movie where I was the star. Yeah. Right? I said, I want that for people who don't, maybe don't, don't understand. Like, like I was like, I was like, I want billing. I want like top front of picture. Yeah. billing. 
Yeah. I don't want my, I don't, I want to be in the front, in the, in the opening credits. Totally. My name. I don't want my name in the scroll at the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember they were like, they were like, wait, what? They were like, uh, I don't know if we can do that. And, and I was like, look, I don't care about anything else. I don't care about the money. I don't care about like, whatever. Like I was like, it's a big deal to me because I just did this movie that I get the opening credit, you know, my, my yeah. name. And they, they said that, and then my agent came back to me and they, and he, and he was like, they can, they're not going to give you that. They're not going to give you the opening credit. Like, you know, this is it. Right. Yeah. And they were like, it's fucking Spider-Man. Just do it. You know? And yeah. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I and I don't know that. what, I don't know why I had the balls to say that. I just had, for whatever reason, in that moment, I just had like large balls. Yeah, you were you were crushing it, coming <laughs> off that film. I was coming off of that movie, and yeah. I was like, I was like, no. By the way, that movie is great. No one saw it, but it's a great movie. Yeah, like, the one that I did. Like no one ended up. Yeah, and 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 um, and and uh, so I just said, I said no, and then my agent. I remember my agent was like, it was the it was a Jewish holiday, and and I remember it was like that weekend, and. He was like going to the theater and he was like, okay, um, I will, uh, I'll tell him you passed and uh, we'll talk, uh, we'll talk on Monday. So he called, he says he's passing, done. And he goes into the theater, he turns off his phone, he's gone, right? He's out. And then like nobody, and then I guess the production was like, we don't have, they were shooting this thing, the scene the following week and they didn't have a backup. Oh, wow. So they were like, what do you mean he's passing? And then they were like, wait a minute. They they were like, if we if he passes, then everybody's got to like, we got to have auditions over the Jewish holiday and everyone's out. Like no one's working. Yeah. You know what I mean? like, and, and so they were like freaking out. So I get a call from um, the producer uh, and I'm forgetting her name right now because it's been so long, uh, but you can look it up. Anyway, yeah, I'm um, uh, the big, the big producer, you know, the, the woman who's, uh, 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 anyway, she calls Amy Pascal. Me. No, 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 oh, no. Okay. Um, if you, I, uh, anyway, she calls me and she calls me at like midnight on Saturday night. Like she calls me and she was like, Asif, what are you doing? What do you mean you're passing? And I, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. And she was like, dude, this is Spider-Man. Like, why would you pass? Like, it's like, you know, Sam thinks you're great. He loves you. Like he wants you in this part. And I said, look, um, you know, all I want is the credit. Like I just yeah. want the credit. I was like, it, it means nothing. It means a lot to me for my career. It's a big deal. Totally. And and for you guys, it's no no big deal. It's not like I'm asking you for more money. I don't care about the money. I don't care about anything. Yeah. Like I was just, just put my name in the front credits, in the in the opening credits. And they were like, we can't do that because you know it's all set and everybody's it's all negotiated and da da da, da and all this stuff. And I remember she said to me, she said, you know, even Cliff Robertson, who played Grandpa, you know, yeah. She's like, he's not in the opening credits, right? And I was like, and I said. Yeah, well, you know what? Look, Cliff Robertson doesn't need to be in the opening credits. <laughs> I need to be in the opening credits. <laughs> he doesn't care. I care. Right? Yeah. And so I just I just was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Stood and, your ground. And they were like freaked out. They were like, why? What do you mean? Like, this is a stupid thing. to a hill, Why are you dying on this hill? And I was like, I just don't, I just don't, you know. And um, 
and you know, and and I and I said, uh, and I just, I just was like, no. And then I guess they called. They'd been calling my manager at the time. I was working with this manager. I think he passed away now. Uh, his name was Johnny Planko. Okay. And and he was a big manager. He had like these big actors like Lauren Bacall and oh, Peter wow. O'Toole and and. Uh, you know, uh, and, and I was like a young actor that he had taken under his wing and I was making him no money. And he was kind of irritated with me anyway, because I was like, I was doing stuff that was no payday for him. Yeah, and he was like, yeah. busy going to the Oscars with Peter O'Toole, you know? And so, <laughs> so he was like getting these, he got like eight phone calls in the middle of the night from like production and producers, yeah. Spider-Man saying like, you know, and this is like a no money. He's getting like 10% of nothing on this. Yeah, thing, right? totally. <laughs> I, was working, I was working one day. It was a one day shoot. Yeah. So, you know, and they were paying me like SAG scale. So yeah. it was like, this guy was like, I'm making like a 50 bucks. Like, yeah, what, totally. like yeah. why am I doing all that? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so he calls me at, he must've been at a party or an event or something. He comes, he got all his phones blown up. He's checking, you know, my agent's out of, out of touch. Yeah. He calls me at like two o'clock in the morning. He's like, what the fuck is going on? Why are these people calling me? And he's like, I thought your agent told me you passed. And I was like, I did. I don't know why that. She's like, why yeah. are they calling you at home? And I'm like, I don't know. Like they, they want me to, they want to, you know, they're trying to work it out. And I was like, all I want is this, you know, um, Opening credits. I just want to be in the opening credits. Yeah. I want the opening credits. And he was like, Jesus, I can't believe it. And he got all pissed off. He's like, fucking people. He's like, I'm just going to call right now. And Planko was, you know, he was kind of, uh, he was like a heavyweight a little bit, you know? And yeah. so he called them. Like, I don't know what he did. Called me back an hour later. He's like, kid, he's like, you got the credit. All right. No you way. Do it? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. What a fucking amazing story, man. I know. He was like, he was like, he's like, kid, you, you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to do it. He's like, all right, now I'll tell him you're going to do it. And I don't call me anymore about this bullshit. All right. hangs up the phone. What an amazing story. I don't want story. any more calls about this. And so you got it. I'm going to have to watch Spider-Man 2 opening credits now. In fact, yeah, that, that'll yeah. be the it's social media post for this interview. It's so, it's so funny. And then, and then, and then. You know, and I'm in the movie. Look, it's it's a nice little uh, role, and 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 it was fun to do, and I had a great time. Honestly, like I got to set. Sam Raimi was really cool, and it was just cool work. You know, Sam Raimi always wore a suit. He, I mean, I think he still does when wow. he directs. He wore a suit and tie and a fedora, and it was in the summer, and it was like 90 degrees outside, and I was like, Sam, like, why are you wearing a suit and tie and a fedora yeah you know he looked he looked like a a, a, a gangster he looked like you know like good stuff, you know? <laughs> and yeah. and and i was like and i remember he he said to me he said when i was a young director i would come to set and i, would, I looked so young and and so in you know like like a kid he said people didn't know i was the director they think i was like a gaffer or something you know like yeah. oh it's a pa they thought i was like a pa and so he, they didn't know I was the director. So I started wearing a suit and tie. And, if, and, and then the fedora came later, I guess. He started, he started dressing up in a suit and tie and a fedora just so people would know he was someone important. Yeah. You know? Wow. And so, like, that was his trademark. And he just always, it was like 90 degrees outside. And he's dressed like, you know, like, uh, like a suit's got to be covered in sweat. Yeah, he was dressed like James Cagney, you know? Like, wow. it was crazy. But I had a great time doing it. And, um, and then the movie came out and 
I have my name in the front in the, in the opening. <laughs> Did credits. you go to the premiere? I didn't go to the premiere because oh, the premiere okay. was in LA and I was in New York at the time. And I, I went to a screening though. And uh, I remember like, I was like, oh, there it is, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then people will come up to me afterwards and they'd be like, dude, how did you get your name in the opening credits of Spider-Man? Like, you know, we thought your part was going to be huge. And it was a <laughs> nice part, but it was like a couple of scenes in the beginning. We thought you were going to be like a whole big yeah. thing in the movie, you know? And I was like, no, I was like, I, and it's just crazy. Like you just have those moments in life where for whatever reason, you know, the, the voice, the little, the little angel on your shoulder or whatever just goes like, yeah, this is what you, you just, stand you know, and ground. it's always funny. Yeah. Stand your ground and just ask for what you want, you know? And so I did in that moment and I didn't care. Honestly, I was naive enough. And I honestly look back on it and I go like, I was stupid and I would have been stupid not to have done Spider-Man. Like yeah. it was a huge, movie. like it went on. It was huge. The residuals and, alone must be worth it. You know, yeah. And so I was like, I was like, I had an incredible, like, you know, it's either sometimes like you're just super intelligent or, or you've got something, or you're just incredibly naive. And yeah. in this case, I was just incredibly naive and just stuck to my guns. But and the it paid off. Of it got me what I wanted. So, yeah. you know, that's yeah. what a great lesson, man. I, I love that story. Thank you for sharing. But since we're, you know, kind of already there, let's let's start at the beginning. So you grew up in India, but moved to England young, right? I didn't grow up in India. I, I was born in India. Well, okay. And then my family moved to England when I was was a year old. Oh, wow. So you yeah. literally grew up in, in England. I grew up in the north of England. Yeah. And what was that experience like? It was great. I mean, you know, it was, it was just childhood, you know, like, yeah. I think, I think when you, it's funny. Cause I still, I, I was, I was, I lived in England from the age of one to 16. So like my formative years, like my childhood is, it was all in the UK and yeah. like growing up. Did you have an accent? Yeah. I used to have a Northern English accent. I used to sound, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of like who I, I just sounded like, I sounded like, you know, Daisy from Downton Abbey. I sounded yeah, like her. Totally. <laughs> we got to get you in the, the show like, now. <laughs> like like the, 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 the little, the young girl in, in yeah. Downton Abbey. So she's talk like that, talk like that, you know, she the Northern accent like yeah. that. And so I just, you know, it was childhood, but I was like, it was where I discovered acting and, and sort of, doing plays and local community theater and, you know, all that stuff. And, and were your parents I, artists at all? Like talk to me about huh? the arts. Were your parents artists? How did the art bug happen for you? No, nothing. Um, my dad was a shopkeeper. Uh, he was, he was actually a, a, a chemist who then became a, a shopkeeper. And then my mother was a nurse for a while. And then she was like, and then she basically like ran the business with my dad. So my parents had no like artistic, I mean, there was always, I guess maybe my uncles and stuff had like sort of ideas of being actors or performers. Yeah. So it was kind of in, in my DNA a little bit, but um, not really. My, my dad was a pretty good singer. Uh, and, and, but, but, the, uh, the, but then I, it just happened for me. It was just one, I actually um, watched, I've told this story before. I, I watched this movie when I was like, I don't know, 13 or 14 maybe, and I watched this movie called Bugsy Malone. Yeah. You know that movie? Yeah, of course. It's an old movie, and it stars uh, a very young Jodie Foster and a very young Scott Bale. 
Yeah. This Scott, is before Scott Bale was like but, crazy a person. joke. <laughs> yeah. 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 So my, my acting hero was Scott Bale. And that's like, you know, one of those um, uh, tragic sort of jokes on me. You know? <laughs> um, but but uh, hindsight's 2020. <laughs> I know. But, no, and the crazy thing is so after I tell you the story, I'll tell you this. So Scott Bale and Jodie Foster saw this movie, and it's all kids in the movie, right? They're all like, you know, like young kids, and it's a gangster movie, and they're all like, Pies in the face, and and the instead of guns, they have pies, and wow. the guns shoot out like pies, and, so, and it's not a comedy; it's done totally dead. It's serious. It's about it's about you know Bugsy Malone, and uh, and and uh, Jodie Foster's great in it, and and I watched this movie, and I was like, all these kids just like playing and shooting, having a blast, having a blast, and dressing up like gangsters and doing this thing, and I was like, that is the coolest, best thing to do. I was like, yeah. I want to do that. Why can't I do that? Yeah. You know, and I was I was like this kid. I was living in this like coal mining town in the north of England. And, you know, and it was sort of like we were lower middle class, you know, and I was just sort of like, I want to go to Hollywood. I want to do yeah. that. I want to be, I want to be doing that. And that's when I decided, like, I was like, I want to I do this acting thing. I want to be an actor. That's such a beautiful And then moment. my mom... Actually, of course, my parents were like, yeah, you can't do that. Like, brown people can't be actors in Hollywood. There's no brown actors. And, and at the time, they were right. There was yeah. nobody. You know, there was basically like um, the only non-white actors at that time, this was the 70s, right, that I knew of outside of Bollywood movies was Sidney Poitier. Yeah. From Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yeah. Uh, Omar Sharif from Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. And Mickey Rooney from Breakfast at Tiffany's, and that was because he had like the Asian makeup on. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was Asian face. <laughs> he had like Asian face on. And I was like, oh, that guy's white. Wait, that guy's not. He's not really Asian. He's not really Japanese. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, and so uh, they were like, "There's no brown." So I was like, "Oh, you know." They were like, and so they were nervous that you know their son had these. They thought, okay, it's a phase. Anyway, my mother was like, look, if you want to like do this, then why don't you find some local community community theater or something? So I actually ended up joining a little like children's theater in my town, like in, in, in the town next to mine. And uh, and every Wednesday night I'd go there and it'd be other kids and we'd all get together and we'd do like improv games and scenes from plays and we had a teacher and, and it was like an extracurricular thing like on Wednesday nights. And then, and then twice a year we'd put on a play wow. at a local theater and people and our parents would all come and watch. And it was just kind of a cool thing. And it was a great community for me. And it was where I like hung out with other actors and I, you know, and, and, and it was like, it was a, it was a very sort of budding early experience of like discovering this thing that I was really like driven to do, which was perform. Yeah. And then also discover, I was like 14, right? I was 14, 15. So I was like, just realizing that there were girls and stuff in this class and, yeah. you know, and like, and so it was like, all of that was all happening at the same Puberty, time. Puberty, it was all, yeah. Puberty totally. was happening. And, and, and the, the realization that this is kind of, what I wanted to do with my, you know, or at least what I thought at the time. You know? Talk to me, you know, because like, obviously now in 2021, despite the fucking chaos that's happened so far, you know, we are 
doing a little bit better than we were five years ago in terms of representation for right. you as, as, as a young man, were you at that time, because I know like the aristocracy and in, in the UK class system is, is such a thing. Were you aware of, of, of this obstacle that you were going to endure or was it, you just so naive to the reality of it? Um, because I, I feel like you, I asked you this. It's like, it's like everyone told me, you know, like you're going to fail at this because you know, there's no place. I, I heard that all the time. I heard it from my parents. I heard it from my parents' friends. I heard, it, you know, they were like, do something that is more secure in life. Do something more that's going to give you more, you know, security, like go into medicine or go into business or law or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. whatever, like do something. It was always like, have this be a backup, have this be, a, be a hobby or something. A hobby yeah. or something that you like to do. It's, it's okay. You know, my, I remember my, my grandparents and my, people in my life telling me like you know it's okay to have a hobby like this you know be an actor you know you can but don't make it like a thing that you're gonna you know and I think that the reality was that again it's like I just wasn't really that good at much else yeah you know same here or, or I didn't really apply myself to anything else and 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 acting was kind of what I loved doing and it was just what I wanted to do and it was like my drug of choice yeah and so, i totally identify with that and and so i just never listened to that you know that oh, i just was like well i'm just gonna do this because i love it and i'm just gonna keep doing it and and because of that i think what happened was that i i realized oh and i think i also realized early on that like i was good at it yeah. And it was the one, it was, it was the thing I was good at more than anything else. And it fulfilled you. And it fulfilled me. So yeah. I was like, I'm good at this. When I do it, people tell me that I'm, you know, like I did a play when I was a little kid, like in, in school and all the parents like came up to my mo mother and they were like, he was the best one. Like he your son was so good. Like all the yeah. other kids were sort of just like saying their lines. And yeah. Being and, a kid and, in a play. And, being a kid <laughs> and, not, yeah. and I was like fucking prepared. I had like all my lines down. I yeah. was like method already. I was like 11 and I was already like, I gained 10 pounds for the role, you know, like, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Christian Bale in the making. Yeah. I was like, I was like, a, a guy who was going to get like, his name in credit sequences. Was, was like, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I was, I, and so like, it was like one of those things where like, I sort of was like, Oh, I'm good at this. And I'm not good at anything else. Like no one comes up to me and says, he's so good at math or all my, you know, when you're a little Indian kid, right? Like all your friends are like, you know, all the other, my parents' friends' kids, like the other Indian families in our town and all their kids, all their kids were like fucking math geniuses or like yeah. academically, like really high, you know, like really doing well. And it was a very education, obviously a big thing in the Indian community. And, you know, and I never seemed to be able to like, I couldn't get, I failed the entrance exam to like the grammar school, the local grammar school, the, all my, all of my other parents' friends' kids were, got in and- wow. And, and, and I just was not an academic in academics. Yeah. I was not good. And I was bad at math. I was bad at science and, you know, and, and English and drama were the only two things that like, I seemed to excel in, you know, because you enjoyed literature and, and, and I just, liked, I liked literature. I liked plays. I like, you know, like I like stuff like that. Yeah. And I like 
so it was it was like and I liked writing I like creative writing you know and, yeah. and and I was very I was I was just like a creative artsy kid like I was drawing pictures writing poems when I was like 10 and then people would come over like my friends parent like my my parents would have a dinner party or something and their friends would come over and their friends kids would come over and then the kids would be like hey let's go into your room and and like hang out and play whatever you know whatever and i'd be like yeah you want to you want to hear my poems and, like, read. <laughs> and all the other kids would be like oh, jesus awesome like they'd hate coming to my house because they'd be like a proper keats just, in the making <laughs> just takes to this room and reads us his poetry like that's awesome <laughs> other kids were like you know we'll go outside in the back and yeah. them all around or whatever or like hide and seek <laughs> yeah hide and seek or something and they'd be like he's reading poems you know and and I was like writing like these. I, I actually found some the other day. Like my dad has kept them all these years, and he That's has so cool. And I found some of them, and they were like these epic poems about like war and like fucking death. And wow, where do you think that came from? Shit. Was that was that from what you were reading, or was that from what you're watching? Like no, that's I, don't a, know what it, I don't know what it was from. You know, I don't. I don't know. I wasn't reading. Like I wasn't like I've never been a big. Reader. You weren't like reading Hemingway and dealing with existential reality. No, but I was. Yeah. I was deal, But I was very like. I was very interested in like religion and and spirituality and stuff. So how all these like poems about death and God and the devil and yeah. you know and I was very like 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 I came from a pretty religious family you know like my and and it was always like part of the sort of air that we breathe you know it was a Muslim family but it was like it was very much about that and then and then I think and and, and then we studied like you know when I was a kid I when in school I think we were studying World War One and like trench warfare and stuff in history in, in 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 world history you know yeah and i think i had that in my head and i wrote this poem about this soldier who died in the war wow. in it and he was like dead and like his he was caught on the barbed wire and his body was decaying it was very dark you know for like yeah 15 year old to be writing these poems and stuff you know that's so, so amazing it was it was kind of like yeah so i was that kind of kid i guess you know and and that was what i was interested in and 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 so there was nothing else and so it just it just sort of and then actually after I did the um the drama stuff then I went to boarding school for a little while and then my parents decided to move to America Tampa right or and to Tampa yeah. right and then when my parents moved to Tampa it was one of those things where they were building a whole new life in a new country and they weren't really paying attention to me for those few years as much as they probably would have if we had stayed in England. Yeah. yeah. And so, they were trying to adjust and assimilate. They were, to, they were starting a new life. They yeah. were opening a business in this country. It was the early eighties. You know, they were like, coming, and, um, and I, and my mom really, it was my mom. I went to, I went to high school and, and I, I went to orientation the first day of school. Right. And they asked you like what electives you want to take. Cause in yeah. America, it was a whole different system, right? Like you had like your right, and then you had these classes called electives that I'd never, yeah. You know, and it was like you could take like art or drama or you know whatever, like right. Yeah. And I remember I put down art, and as an elective, and my mother actually said to me, she said, "Don't you want to do drama?" Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, I guess." And she was like, "And I didn't think it was like a real thing that you could do in school because yeah. in England, my school they didn't have that." Yeah. So I was like, she was like, yeah, they have drama. Why don't you do that? And I was like, oh, 
And then, and I just thought, and it was actually my mom who just suggested it. And then I was like, yeah. So then I switched it from art to drama. And then I ended up in the drama department and then was like doing plays and stuff. And, and then like, it just went from there, you know? Was that a tough transition for you from growing up from there and then coming to America at 16 and having to fit in in high school in America? Or it sounds like maybe this drama program really helped. Yeah, I think it was, I think all my friends, like, like it definitely helped my transition into America was like having, finding sort of my family of like drama kids, Yeah, you know, like, like, like drama nerds who were like all in the theater program. I mean, it, it, you know, in, 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 they don't call it theater in high school, it's just called the drama class, but it was yeah. like, we were all into plays and, and we were all like kind of, you know, like histrionic kids who were like a little bit like overly performity, you know, totally. And, 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 and you know how drama kids are. And so it's oh, like, I know. And, I went and to so NYU. Like, <laughs> right. It's like, it's, it's like, it was like, Oh, okay. These are my, and it was sort of reminded me a little bit of the kids. I went to that, uh, you community know, the, theater. The community theater yeah. in England where they were like sort of artsy kids and, and they enjoyed, performing and stuff. And so that became uh, like my community, but yeah, but America was, you know, definitely a, a transition for me on many levels, right? Like, like I was 16 when I came here. So I was like in the middle of teenage years trying to figure out all that stuff, yeah. so, you know, like in, in terms of like, just all the pressures of being a teenager, you know, totally, uh, totally. And, and, and trying to figure out your community and your people and like all that. So it was a little bit, um, you know, but again, I was the only brown kid in that, in the drama class in my high school. Right. I was did, the only did, brown kid in drama in that community college that I went, I mean, community uh, theater thing I went to in, in uh, England and, and, uh, the children's theater. And, and, and I was usually always on, the only brown kid. I think I was one of the few brown kids, maybe the only one in my uh, theater program at USF, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so University yeah, of South Florida, right? University of South Florida. Yeah. And, that, and that's where you continued to study theater as well. Right. Yeah. How and was that was it? the other thing. So I got like, I, I auditioned and I got this like theater freshman scholarship to USF. Wow. So and my parents, we were really struggling, my family, because we had come to this country, we sold everything, we moved to America, and, and my parents had a little business, and they were, we were trying to get on our feet and all this stuff. And I, I remember we didn't have a lot of money, and my parents, I don't think actually, they were going to struggle to even send me to school to pay for my tuition. Wow. And what happened to me was I ended up getting a freshman incentive scholarship to go to the University of South Florida to study theater, be a theater major, and they would pay for my first year of school. Wow. And uh, as long as I was a theater major. And so- Only one year though? Just the one year, just yeah. the first, it was called a freshman incentive scholarship. And so just even that, getting that and being like, oh, I was like, mom, dad, they're gonna pay for me to go to school. Yeah. You don't have to pay. Yeah. And the parents were like, oh, and they were like, but the only stipulation is I got to be a theater major. <laughs> it was almost like, and sometimes I feel like the universe just sort of like. Divine intervention. Divine intervention came in and just said, this is what you're meant to do in life. Yeah. And we're going to, it's just going to move you in that direction. And I really believe sometimes that like, 
there were forces at work in my life that um, that had nothing to do with me. You know? So beautiful. And how was your experience there in their drama program? Was that was that a rich and it fun was experience? Good. I mean, I mean, I, I, I look. I got I got a basic, you know, training. I, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like going to Yale or something. You know, it wasn't yeah. like. But it was like it was it was an undergraduate drama program that that taught me how to act i could yeah. say you know and and, yeah. and the basics of acting and 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 i guess i could say that like that's where i i learned the craft more than the just the talent yeah i had the innate talent and i could just do stuff but yeah. i didn't have any craft got it you know and and then in 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 school i learned craft and then subsequently came to new york after school and then I worked at Disney and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you were a performer at Disney, right? Huh? You were a performer at Disney, weren't you? I was a performer at Disney, which again was a, a weird thing. I was actually in school at the time. So my, my freshman incentive scholarship was done. I was now paying for my school. And because we didn't have citizenship yet, we were on a green card. I was considered an out-of-state student. Like an, I was considered like an international student. Yeah. So whereas my friends were paying, and this is back in the 80s, like I don't know what, what it costs now, but my friends at the time were paying, I don't know, like 15 bucks a credit for yeah. a, a theater, you know, for a, like each class had so many credits, right? Totally. Like, I think it still works that way, right? Yeah, so it does. It yeah. be like three or four credits yeah. and it'd be like 30 bucks credit. So the class would be a hundred bucks, yeah. right? For the semester. Whereas I was paying 10 times that because I was paying. So if it was 30 bucks a credit, I was paying like, it wasn't 30 bucks a credit. It was like usually like 10 bucks. I was paying a hundred bucks a credit. So for me, it was like, they were paying, uh, uh, you know, 30 bucks. I was paying like a hundred dollars or whatever. Wow. Right? And so- it wasn't quite 10 times, but it was a lot more. And I didn't have any, and the thing was not being a citizen and not having, I didn't even have, I don't think, I'm trying to remember if we even had a green card at the time. I couldn't work. You didn't and, have like a work permit or visa. Like, yeah. And so like, we were on a, we were on a business visa. My dad was basically like on a, on a, he had a business. And so, so like I couldn't gainfully be employed and make money to pay for school. And at the same time, my parents, so I look, I literally, I was working like under the table at a restaurant as a bus boy, like making enough money just to take one class a semester. Cause that's all I could afford wow. in school. So my friends were like clipping through. So after four years, everyone, all, a lot of my friends were done with school, right? They yeah. were like four years done. And I was still not done because for the last two years, I'd only been able to take one class a semester. So I was slowly going forward. Yeah. Still wasn't done with school. Wow. And still had a bunch of credits that I had to, to get before I could really graduate. Get the degree and be done. Get the degree and all yeah. that, right? So along comes, so in the middle of all this, while I'm figuring out like, okay, I'm going to be in school for another year or another two years trying to finish to get my degree along again, divine intervention. I don't know what else to call it. Along comes an audition for the Disney MGM studios in Orlando, right? They're opening up a, a, a theme park in Orlando. They need performers. They need 
not not singy dancy performers. Yeah. They need like actors who could do like comedy part of to be part of an improv comedy troupe. Wow. At the Disney MGM Studios called Streetmosphere. Wow. It's still there. If you ever go visit, it's still there. They're, they're, they're live street performers who do just sketches and improvisation live on the street. And, and it was a lot of, so I could, was pretty, I was a funny kid. I, like, I was funny, you know, like I was like, and I could perform and stuff. So I went with a bunch of my school friends, like my, like I think four of us, we all went to Orlando from Tampa. Yeah. And we auditioned for this new theme park that was yeah. opening called the Disney MGM Studios. Yeah. And I auditioned and I got and I got cast. No. And man. I and, and I was the only one that got cast. And I That's got That's not cast. not easy. I know how hard those those auditions are really tough. I know many actors that have Well, I just I did this ironically, I did this Bogosian monologue for Eric Bogosian? Yeah. Oh, the best. And I didn't, Eric Bogosian is, is a friend today, you know, but back then he was like the guy, like, like I remember this acting teacher in my, USF gave me a book of his called Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, which was yeah. like um, his, uh, his one man show. Yeah. And in it, there was a monologue that I'd done in class and I'd worked on it in class in school and stuff. And so I just said, I'm going to do this monologue. Yeah. And he was a fry cook in a New York City restaurant. He was like, he was like kind of like that, um, that character on SNL, you know, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. You know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Belushi character, right? But anyway, he was like this sort of, and I did this character and I went in and I auditioned for it and they cast me. Wow. And, the, and then they said, the only deal is you got to come to Orlando and you got to move here and you got to work at Disney. And it was a one year contract. And I remember like thinking, and I said to my parents and I remember saying to my uncle and stuff, I was like, I'm going to have to drop out of school because I'm still in school. Yeah. And I'm gonna have to drop out of school to go do this. And, and I said, but the, the, the other, the flip side of it is at that time I was making $400 a week. Wow. $400 a week for me at that time was like a ridiculous amount of yeah, money. Right? Yeah. Like I was like 400 bucks a week. I could like do this. Forever. <laughs> I, could, yeah, I was like, I was like, I can live large, you yeah. know, but I also was like, I can save up money and come back and finish school. Yeah. So I have like enough money. And cause I was paying for like, you know, I was going through one class and my parents yeah. really couldn't afford it. So and like, they have housing for you. Don't they? Yeah, they gave me, and yeah. they had, I was, you know, and yeah. they were like, they were like, so it was like, it just seemed to me like, and so I remember my uncle saying to me, like, look, if, if, if you say you're going to come back and finish school, then just make sure, like, go for a year, do this job, bank away some money, come back and finish school and get your degree. Yeah. And then I remember I talked to some people and they were like, I remember some people, there was this girl I knew and she was like, she was, she said to me, she said, yeah, no one ever drops out of school and then comes back and finishes. Like, it never <laughs> happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. She was like, she's like, once you drop out of school, you'd never come back. Yeah. Right? And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm totally going to come back and finish, you know? And, uh, and I went to Disney, worked there for a year. 
and then ended up going from there to Universal Studios and worked at Universal. Then I started dating this girl. She was moving to New York. And I was like, I'm going to come to New York with you. And the next thing you knew, I come to New York. I never did go back to school. Wow. And I ended up moving to New York. I got my equity card. I moved to New York. I started auditioning for theater and regional theater and, and stuff. And, and like equity open calls or? Yeah, I used to go to, yeah. I mean, uh, this was like the early 90s, right? And I remember I, I was dating this woman and we were living together. And And this is before capitalism destroyed New York, right? Like you could afford to live here. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I lived, I lived also like the way I lived was pretty meager. I lived, I remember I lived in Long Island city. Oh, nice. And, right there. Right. In Long Island city, right on, right by the, the Queensboro bridge and, and, and I by lived, the studio or, or, you know, whatever Kaufman Astoria or what's it called? No, no, no. no so like Silver it, cup. No, no. Like I lived with on the, by the seven train. Like, Oh, on, okay. On, I know exactly. Like, what it, courthouse square. Like, yeah, right yeah. There, by the seven train. And uh, it was literally the first stop in Long Island city when you came in from the, from Manhattan. Yeah. And, um, and I lived in this apartment that was a railroad apartment. It was me and a bunch of like South American grad students all. And I had my own little room and I paid 300 bucks a month. And that's all I paid. And I had, we, we shared a toilet. Everyone used like the same toilet in the hallway and then I had like one room with my like little desk and my bed. Yeah. And that was where I started in New York. I came to New York. I didn't even have like, it wasn't even a bed. It was just a mattress on the floor. Wow. And um, my parents came up to visit me and they were just horrified. <laughs> they were like, what the fuck? Like, what did you do? They were, like, they were like, your life. Because in Orlando, when I was in Disney, like I had a nice apartment. And I was right. This, I came to New York. I had nothing. And, 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 and I remember like, the plaster was falling off the ceiling and stuff. And I had this landlady and she was uh, this kind of very eccentric character. Um, and, and she said to me, it's 300 bucks a month. And even sometimes I couldn't even afford that, yeah. you know? And, and, and she would, and she would, uh, it was like that, that um, Will Ferrell uh, comedy sketch. She'd show up for the rent. And I was like, I don't have the rent. Please, could just give me another week. I yeah. promise. And I was like cater waitering. I was trying to like make enough money, and uh, three hundred bucks a month. And I and I was and, and I lived there for. Well, I, then I moved into the. the they put two. There was a, somebody left. I moved in, but I lived in that building for ten years. Wow. Um, and that's the only reason I could even afford to live in New York was yeah. because I was paying so little in rent. And, and, and I was living like this very sort of like, you know, all I paid, the only thing I paid for was for like headshots and like acting class. And that's yeah. when I started studying with Win Handman at wow. the Win Handman studios. And then that was a huge career and life changing sort of thing for me because he was even more than, than, than USF, like Win Handman was my guru of acting, you know, gave you the real craft. Yeah. Because when, you know, and he died this year, actually, uh, I'm from sorry. COVID. And uh, he was, you know, he was 98 years old, but still. But he was a, a giant of the American theater and of, like, you know, as an acting teacher. Like, you know, his alumni list includes, well, Bogosian, for one, ironically. And then, you know, just Raul Julia, uh, you know, uh Christopher Walken, Richard Gere, wow. Denzel Washington, Dustin Hoffman, you know, like legends, 
He's a, yeah, yeah, like these people who ended up beca- going off and becoming like huge stars. And I was in class, I remember, with Connie Britton. And I was wow, in class with Connie. Connie Britton. I was in class with Lauren Graham. Uh, I was in class with Kim Raver. Uh, I was in class with a bunch of people that went on to have yeah, like careers. Big, big careers and stuff. And and uh, uh, Eric Fall was in class. I remember. Wow. Um, anyway, it was it was just one of those. Um, Win Win really helped me in terms of really doing the work, the just like the nitty gritty of the work and how to find and and what had started as my learning of the craft. He like honed it even more and and helped me and he helped me develop Sakina's restaurant, which was the play, one man show. Your one man show, yeah, yeah. Right. And what, talk to me before we get there. Was there a showcase built in? How did the your first rep happen? Um. You mean my first agent? Yeah, like did was there a showcase at his studio or how how did you get your no, first agent? No, no, no. We actually I got my agent, ironically, because a bunch of us from Wins class decided to just put on a uh an evening of one acts, as wow. you do, right? And we were like, we're gonna put on an evening of one acts. And I did my and, and it was it was me and Connie Britton. Wow. And Connie Britton and I did a one act. I forget what it was from now. But anyway, we, it was, it, there were, there were six of us. We did three one acts. Yeah. And um, it was one of those things where you just invite whatever agents can, can come, yeah. you know, and, and, and hopefully some casting people, people show up. And that's what you did back then, right? Like you yeah. got together with your friends and you put on a one act, an evening of one acts and you invited industry to come and see you and hopefully get some representation because we're all yeah. looking for representation. Totally. And this was, yeah, and, and I did it with Connie, and Connie had not done Brothers McMullen yet, and which was the movie that she did with Ed Burns. With Eddie Burns that blew up. Then yeah. blew her up. Um, so, oh, she had just done it, and it hadn't come out yet. Got it. And and so she was looking for a rep. We were all looking for reps. And um, and I did this one act, and uh, there was an agent there, a guy named Michael Kelly Boone, and he was from an agency called Silver Cassa Massetti. Okay. Which is still exists the now called silver Mercedes and sat Mary or something okay. anyway and they were and they were uh they might with my first real agent wow. I had an agent before that this guy named um uh, he was an uh, he, he oh Bethel it was called the Bethel agencies and this guy I don't know if he's still alive but he he didn't have an office he had an agency and his office was like at a warehouse somewhere. So you couldn't, on the west side by the river. So you couldn't go, this is such a New York story. He used to go to the diner on 58th Street, um, where across from where CNN is now. Yeah, the um, Time Warner building. Near the Time Warner building. Yeah. Like right there, there's a diner on 58th Street. I, I, he used I to know. go to that diner every morning and have breakfast. And they and they used to have this thing where they deliver the um, the breakdowns. The breakdowns. The guy delivering the breakdowns would bring them to his diner, and they would give him the breakdowns. And he would go through the breakdowns while he was having his his eggs and his omelet and stuff. And then he would. This was before cell phones, so he would go to the payphone on the street, and he would call the casting offices and try to get you an appointment. For stuff, and then if you wanted to meet him, you had to go there between seven and ten in the morning 
when he sat at the diner and you could just go there and hang out with him and talk to him or whatever. And this was my first agent. Wow. Uh, Louis, uh, uh, shit, I'm forgetting his last name. There was a long time ago. No he, it was called the Bethel Agencies. And it was hilarious because he would literally, you'd go there and, and you'd be like, here's the breakdown. Take a look. What do you want to audition for? And I'd be like, I want to audition for this part. This is yeah. a lot of order. We yeah. got this cut. And he'd be like, all right, hang on. And he'd get up and he'd go to the, he'd go to the, uh, the street <laughs> yeah. and he'd call the casting office. That's so <laughs> and then he'd come back in and he'd be like, all right. He's like, he's like, I'm going to call him back in an hour, but I'll get you an appointment. And then he'd call you from the same payphone later. And he'd be like, so I got you an audition for next Tuesday at two o'clock. No <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. And he, would, he got me some auditions. I don't Did, think is, I that, is that where you booked Miami Vice or no? No, that was in Florida. That was when I was in school. Oh, wow. So you already had a, a credit before you even moved to New York. Well, so it was a weird thing. What happened was the casting director for Miami Vice, and this is the TV show, right? Yeah, yeah, One yeah. with Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas. The most classic one, yeah. Right. The casting director for Miami Vice came to my school to do a workshop on TV acting and TV yeah. casting, like a professional workshop, you know, because you learn theater and stuff. But yeah, like, you of know. course. Cool. So they were like, all right. And so she came to the school and she did a workshop and I got up and did a scene or I got up and did something and whatever. And then, if, and then she left. And then a couple of days later, she called, she called my home, I think, because I didn't have any agents or anything. She, and she called, or she either called my home or she called the school or something. And she said, there's a part in this episode that we're casting right now of a doorman outside the Biltmore Hotel. It's one line. Yeah. And I'd like Asif to audition for it. And I was like, I'd never done television yeah. or anything like that. And it was like the biggest deal for me, right? I'm in school and it was 1988. And I remember uh, it was the day. Oh, so, so, okay. So first of all, I was like, she was like, you got to come to Miami to audition. Yeah. And I didn't know how to get to Miami because I didn't have money like to fly. So I, I literally was like, dad, I got to borrow the car Yeah, for a day. I got to go to Miami. So my dad lent me his car and I drove from Tampa to Miami through like Okeechobee swamp land, yeah. like deliverance land, you know, totally. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I drove down. Uh, it's, you know, it's a pretty straight shot, but it's about a four and a half hour drive, four hour drive. I drove all the way to Miami. I was so excited because I was like, I never had an audition for a TV show before, you know? Yeah. And the idea of being on Miami Vice was like the biggest show on TV at the yeah, time, right? Totally. It was like huge. And so even just having like one line on Miami Vice. Yeah, that's huge. I was, I was like, this is going to change my life, yeah. you know? And I drove down to Miami and I show up at the casting office and I walk in and... uh I go in and the, the, the director's there and the casting director's there, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, okay. And the line, I, remember, I think the line was, um, oh yeah, he went that way. That was the line. That was the whole line. Because <laughs> what happens is Philip Michael Thomas comes up, to, the, Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas come up and they're looking for this guy who's run away. Yeah. And this guy they've been holding in custody and he escapes at the Biltmore Hotel. And I see him leave. 
And so they come down, they grab the doorman. They're like, which way did he go? And I'm yeah. like, oh, the guy in the trench coat. And I'm like, oh, he went that way. And they're like, they take off after. I got to look this up now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, so I did it. And then that way. And then they were like, great, thank you. And then I got in my car and drove four and a half hours back to Tampa. And it was just that, like, today you do it over Zoom, you know? Yeah. But like, but like, it was like, I drove all the way back to Tampa. And then I just waited by the phone. And then she called me and, uh, and she said, guess what? You got the part. And I was so excited. I was so excited. And I went down to Miami and I, uh, and I shot it. And it was the day of the election. It was November, whatever the November was, that Tuesday in November of yeah. 1988 when George Bush got elected and it was Bush Dukakis. And it was the day of the election. Wow. And I was shooting that day. I just remember that. And, 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 uh, and I shot the scene with, and I got worked with Don, you know. Was How like, was that? Was that cool? Or were they? It was really cool. I mean, yeah. it was like, you know, it was like, I was like, it was my first experience of what it was to even be on a set. Yeah. To, that, like, understand how that worked. Like, I'd never been on a TV set before. I'd never done anything, you know. So it was all, like, super exciting to me. And I was like, I was a little kid, you know. I was yeah. Like, just wide-eyed, living the like, dream. Great. Yeah. And, and then... You know, I did it, and when it aired, I remember I had a party, and I invited all my friends over, and we all like watched the episode. Awesome. And I was like, I was like, there I am. It was like, oh, was, it was done. I was like, you went that way, and it was over. And everyone was like, yeah. <laughs> and it was so like, radical. It was so crazy. I just had this whole like, you know, uh, experience um, with with all my friends, and and they were all. It was like it was cool. It was like it was very innocent, you know, but. But it was, uh, and then I, yeah, anyway, that's how I, that's how I, and then I got my SAG card, actually. From that job? From, from that job. Wow. So all the money I made, I basically paid to SAG yeah. and got my SAG card. So then by the time I got to New York, I actually had my equity card and my SAG card. So you're way ahead of every other so actor was, in town. I was, I was already, like, able to, like, audition for stuff, you know? That's awesome. And then that diner agent, did he get you Law & Order? He got me, I think he might have gotten me a couple of things. I don't know. But then I then I started working with Silva Massetti and then they got me a bunch of stuff after. Then I worked with them for a while and then wow. um you know and then and then was booking more TV and guest spots and all that kind of and then theater and, and stuff like that. And then know? he did like a die hard, right? And and Die Hard was my first ever movie that I ever did again really really small part like literally like if you ever watch it it's called it's die hard with a vengeance and uh bruce willis and uh samuel jackson steal my cab on 72nd street and they and it's the cab that they drive through central park uh with but i'm the guy that they pull out of the cab i literally i'm like again it was like it was like no no what are you doing? <laughs> that was it it was all improvised and I remember, like, it was my first time ever, like, and I was doing a play at the time. I was understudying, uh, talking to Bogosian, I was understudying in Bogosian's play, Suburbia, at yeah. Lincoln Center, the original production. Wow. With Martha Plimpton and Steve Zahn and Josh Hamilton and Zach Orth and uh, Wendy Hoops. And it was, it was this, uh, it was this, like, it was 1994, it was this, uh, Tim, Tim, R, uh, not uh, um, Tim Guinea, and and it was like this um, 
cool sort of production. I remember like Tom Cruise came to see it and Madonna came to see it. And it was wow, just like, what it, was an like experience. A, it was like a show to be in, you know? And, uh, and I was understudying an actor named Ferdos Bamji and I was understudying him in this play. And so I basically would sit backstage every night. I wasn't really going on. I went on once wow. towards the end. And, uh, and I, and I, and I was in this play, I was backstage and I got this audition for Die Hard and I got it. And I asked Lincoln Center if they would let me go one day yeah. and shoot this thing. And it was just up the street because Lincoln Center on 66th Street and this was shooting on 72nd Street. And I remember saying to them, like, I was like, if they need me for the show, I can just run I down. I can just run down <laughs> and do the show. Because I was like, I only have one line. Yeah. Like, you know, take, like 10 minutes, I'll be done. You know, I had no idea. That's awesome. And then, and I remember they like, they shut off all the streets and the traffic and all the traffic, all the cars on 72nd Street were stunt cars and like, you know, and 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 they and it was cool. It was like it was like no penny, you know, it saved, you know, they were just going. for. Oh, no, it was big. It was a yeah. big, 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 big movie. And I was like, I can't believe I'm even here doing yeah. this, you know. So, That's so awesome, man. Yeah. And then talk to me from there, you know, getting those kind of credits so early on. That's that's monumental. What at that point were you starting to go up for like reoccurring and regulars? Were you going up the, the ladder, so to speak, of of, you know, roles in not, TV? I was not going up the ladder. You know, again, the reality of, of it was that as a brown actor in Hollywood, there just weren't that many roles. Yeah. And so I think, yes, normally you would be like, okay, you've established, now you start getting bigger parts. And yeah. Bigger parts yeah. Stuff, but those bigger parts didn't exist. They and were so, inadvertently racist. It was deli owner or cab driver. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so for a long time, I sort of was like getting the same parts again and again. Like it was basically just like, I did all the law and orders and I did all the New York undercovers and I did the, the, the Della Ventura, that Danny Aiello series. You know, I did, I did like every New York show. Yeah. Always like the same guy, right? Like I always play like the cabbie or even did the Cosby mysteries, you know. Like Were you getting cabbie. tired of that? Was that was that tough for you it mentally? Was. Or? It's kind of the reason that I said no to Spider-Man circling all the way around, right? Yeah, like, because it, you've done that before. Yeah, because yeah. you start you start doing all the same parts and you're like, okay, I'm just how many times I'm gonna do the fucking accent and do the thinning and you know, and do yeah. the and play the play your token brown guy in this one little scene or whatever, you know, because they just and I remember I went to LA and I was with a buddy of mine and we stayed and I went to LA for pilot season in 96. Uh -huh. And a lot of my friends had gone to LA and booked like big shows, like actually talking of Connie Britton, like Connie, who was in class with me, had gone to LA a couple of years earlier or maybe and, and booked Spin City. Wow. And so she was doing Spin City and you know. And, and, and so a lot of my Caucasian friends had gone out and booked stuff and they were like sort of moving into the television. Ooh, yeah, world. totally. And I couldn't break into that world because I literally sat, I went to LA for pilot season in 1996 and I was there and I had an agent, I had a good agent and I didn't get a single audition. No and way. I spent three months in LA just basically just sitting by the phone and never went out once. Wow. And and How did you buoy yourself during that time? Like, what did you do mentally to, to stay sane? I just, you know, I, I, I came back to New York and I was like, all right, I'm going to do theater and I'll just keep doing, you know, and I, and I started writing. I started writing my own stuff. It's kind of what prompted me into writing Sakina's Restaurant. 
and, and, and getting it made because I realized like, if I don't create something that will get people's attention, then there's no, there's no chance for me in this business because nobody's writing anything for me. Nobody's writing anything for people who look like me at that time. Right. Like at that time in the mid nineties, late nineties, there was no Brown people on television, you know, and, and uh, there was one show that I auditioned for, Al Franken had a sitcom where he played like a weatherman or something or not weatherman, like it was a news kind of station thing. And I forget what it's called. Anyway, I auditioned for that. And it was the first time there was a Brown character written on a sitcom. Wow. That I had ever seen. And I thought, Oh my God. And I remember I went in and I met Al Franken and I auditioned for him. This was in New York and I auditioned for him and I had this killer audition. Yeah. And, and I thought, Finally, you know, yeah. you know, I didn't get auditions for series regulars and there was no, there were no series regular parts. Yeah. I thought, this is it, man. I'm finally going to like make my mark. Yeah. Do this, you know? And I remember, um, I walked out of there and I was like, yeah, Al really loved me. He was like, he lit up. He was like, this guy's funny. He's great. You know, they said, you have a callback. So I went back and I got so nervous at the callback. It was that classic situation. Where yeah. I got really nervous. And I got to the audition and it was me. Uh, this other Indian actor, I forget his name now, and Ajay Naidu. Wow. Um, and I don't know if you know Ajay Naidu, Office Space, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, a fucking legend, Ajay. You know, he's like, he's been around for years. Yeah. And he did the movie of Suburbia, actually. Oh, okay. Amazing. And, 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 and anyway, so I knew Ajay and I knew he was a really good actor. Yeah. And I was like, and I saw him and I, I was like, oh fuck, you know, like maybe I got my, I got, I got, I got to really show up. Yeah. And I remember like the two of us uh, at the urinal and Ajay looked at me and he was like, well, because we didn't know this other guy. Yeah. So we were like, it's going to be one of us. You know, it's like, he was like, it's me or you. Yeah. It was like that thing where we were like, and I was like, oh, I hope it's me. Please let it be me. Yeah. Done stuff already. He had a little bit of a career, you know, and I was like, I was like done nothing, you know, and I was so, uh, but I was nervous and I remember the horrible feeling. I went in and I just choked. I just choked. And I remember Al Franken looking at me like, oh, come on. And what happened? Yeah. And I was more nervous and I got more. And then they were like, try it again. They gave me some direction. And I was like, ah. And I just kept going down the hole. Yeah, I panicking. Like, I've been there. And I just realized I wanted it so badly. Yeah. And I just clenched up and I could see everybody's face and Al Franken just being like, Oh, he was disappointed. Cause he was like, he was good. He was yeah. good. He's not, he's not bringing it right oh, now. Oh no! And I, and Ajay ended up getting it. And, uh, and it was a short lived series. I think it lasted for a season or something. Um, but it was a big heartbreaker for me. And I remember walking out of that audition and the job I had at the time just to make money was handing out flyers for some company at Rockefeller Center. I was just handing out flyers for 10 bucks an hour. Wow. And I was out there and I went from that audition choking, realizing I just lost a, a series regular yeah. part of the sitcom to um, going to hand out flyers for 10 bucks an hour outside Rockefeller Center. And I was like, this is my fucking life. And I just didn't see any future. I was like, this is bullshit. Like, this is, how am I going to? And I remember 
I called a buddy of mine and I, he was a, a manager at the time and then he got out of the business later. But I remember him saying, I said to him, I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this. Like, I can't do this anymore. Like, yeah. it's too hard. Like I, like I just had a, sh- like, like there's hardly any roles for Brown people. And then this one role comes along and I, and I choked, like I fucked it up and, yeah. and it was mine to lose and I lost it. And, and, uh, and I said, you know, I can't, I can't go on. I got, I'm going to do something else with my life because yeah. I, and I was done. And I remember he said to me, he said, he said, listen, he said, if you're lucky in this business, he's like, he's like the fact that you got in that room and you got to that level of where you had a callback yeah. without Franken and, and they were thinking of you seriously for this and you have no credits, by the way, and they were thinking <laughs> of you, that's huge. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, if you're lucky, you will be rejected many, many more times like this. Yeah. And that's it, if you're lucky. Yeah, I know. I'm in that now, yeah. man. Oh. Right. And yeah. so he was, he was like, you're going to get rejected at this level many, many times. So this is a good thing. Yeah. Don't Be worry. happy. Can't give up. Like you got in that room, you got to that level, you saw, okay, you choked this time, next time you'll do better. But like the fact that you're in the game is, is enough for you to stay in it. Totally. Don't, don't bail now that you're in the game and you're getting in the room. Yeah. And so I remember he gave me a pep talk and then I, the next person I called was my dad. And I, I called my dad who had never really been a supportive figure in terms of my acting he had always been sort of like passive about it. Like, yeah, if that's what you want to do, you know? Yeah. And I remember like, I told him, I said, I'm quitting. Oh and he was God. like, what do you mean you're quitting? And I said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I remember my dad said to me, listen, you've invested too much of your life into this. Like, he's like, you can't quit now. Yeah. He was like, you got to keep going. He's like, one bad audition is not going to be, you can't, like, okay, you had a bad audition. And I was like, yeah, but it was the audition. Like, it was the one that was going to change my life. Yeah. And and um, and he was like, no. He was like, you can't quit now. He's like, you've given up. You've invested wow. so many years. So beautiful. And I remember, like, I almost, like, got really choked up because I was like, wow, he's never, ever shown an interest really in that way. Yeah. And then this is the first time he's ever said to me. And between him and my friend William, uh, the two of them, I decided to get back on the horse. That's amazing, man. Way to go, brother. So anyway, yeah. I love that. And then when you did the one-man show, did that open the doors for you in the way that you would? Yeah, when I did the one-man show, that really, like, there were these moments in my life that the Daily Show, you know, like, where you suddenly realize, like, oh, things opened up in a way. When I did the one-man show is when, the New York Times gave me this incredible review, which I'm still so, you know, yeah. like one of the, one which of those so hard. I mean, that's a coup to happen. Yeah, you know? and so that then brought audience, and then the when we ended up, and Win Handman, my teacher, produced that show, and I remember Win said to me, he said, and you know, like there were no stories about brown people on the American theater at yeah. that time. There were no one man. Sh- you know, I, I was sort of following in the footsteps of Bogosian and Leguizamo and those guys. Danny Hawk and, and all. Yeah. And all yeah. that. And I, and I, uh, and, and, and I love those guys, but I was doing this show. And I remember at the time, nobody had written a show or told stories about 
South Asian immigrants in this country. Yeah. And I remember doing it. And I mean, I remember I developed it in Wynn's class. I'd worked with him on it. And we ended up doing it at the American Place Theater. And uh, the review came out. We were supposed to originally run for two weeks. No, four weeks with a two-week extension. Well, what theater do you remember? It was the American Place Theater. Oh, okay. Awesome. It was on 46th Street at Wynn Hanneman's Theater, which is not there anymore. But um, anyway, I was supposed to run for four weeks, extend for two if we got nice notices or audience. And the, the New York Times review came out. A couple of other nice reviews came out. And the audiences started to come. Wow. And the South Asian audiences started to find the show. And yeah. they were like, oh, this is Indian kid, like doing this play and da-da-da, you know? And nobody had ever seen a play about an Indian family yeah. in America, an immigrant. You know, nobody had ever seen a brown sort of story like that. Yeah. Right? Not in the mainstream American theater. And so people started coming, you know, Long Island, the busloads of the, these Indian audiences. And, and, you know, and, and also like a lot of immigrants started coming because they were like, it's a story about immigrants. So anyway, so it was like, it was a kind of, and I remember when saying to me, uh, I'll keep your show running. I'm going to keep this show running because, because it's going to find an audience and the audience will keep going. And he made a promise because I got cast in another show at Manhattan theater club called Corpus Christi which is this very controversial play by Terrence McNally about a gay Jesus. And it was getting all the Christian right people in a big fervor and people were protesting it. And I got cast in it and my agents wanted me to do it because they were like, this is, this play is going to be on the cover of Time. Yeah, Mass. totally. Controversial. Like it's like, blah, blah. and I passed on it because I was doing my show. Yeah. And I told Wynn, I said, Wynn, I'm going to, I'm going to close my show because my agents are going to tell, are telling me to go do this other play and they yeah. think it's going to be big for my career. And Wynn said to me, he's like, are you in his own sweet way? He basically said to me, you're a fucking nut job. Like you're fucking crazy. Wow. And he was like, Why would you close your play? The one that is like taking off. Yeah. One man show to go be in an ensemble with eight other guys. Yeah. And play like a supporting character yeah. in that play. And I was like, because my agents, you know, they're saying like, this is going to be big and they're going to, you know, it's going to get a lot of, and I've, they've got the good review and they were like, get the good review and bank it and now go on, move on. He was like, I think you're making a big mistake. And I said, I don't know what to do, you know, like, and I remember, and, and I remember he called me, he called me like at midnight and he said, here's what I'm going to do. He's like, I said, I said, because I don't know how long we're going to run for, you know, yeah. And, and, and he said, and he called me at midnight and he said, here's what I'll do. I'll make you a promise. And this was in July of, of the year, of that year. And he said, I will run your show till January of next year, whether I'm making money or losing money. Wow. will not close you. And I was like, wow. And I just remember, like, I was like, that was it, you know? Yeah. And I'm so glad. And he said, because I believe the, because he, he was like, I'm taking a bet on the fact that audiences are going to come. Yeah. They'll discover the, like, the good it's work. Gonna, it's it's going to build momentum. And as the word gets out, people are going to come and you're going to have an audience and we're going to build and build and build. And we, and he was right because by the fall we were selling out. Wow. And 
And, you know, and we were, we were only in like a 75 seat theater, but people couldn't get tickets. And then it became like a hot ticket in the fall. And then he ran ran through Christmas into January uh, before he closed me. And then I did the show in Toronto. I ended up doing it in London. I ended up doing it. uh, But you got to tour with it. So cool, man. LA, I took it to Toronto. I took it to London. Uh, I took it to like DC. I did it a bunch of places. And then did a revival of it in 2019. Oh, I would have killed to have seen that. Yeah. Damn. Wow. I got, I can't wait to hopefully maybe 2022, you'll do it again. But ironically, I was supposed to do it in 2020 at the Mark Taper forum. Oh, wow. uh, And in LA and, and we had to, you know, we couldn't because, uh, they, they shut everything down. Oh, it was right as this it went was down. right as COVID happened. And we were supposed to, we had a production all set to go at the Kirk Douglas in LA. So I am still hoping. Let me know. I'm going to be front row. At some point. Oh, I'll be there, man. That's so awesome. And, and yeah. tell me, touring with that, I imagine you got on so many radars at that point. Yeah. I mean, by once after Sakina's restaurant, Ismail Merchant also found me and cast me in the Mystic Masur. And that was the play. That was the movie I did right before Spider Man. Yeah. Started. And uh, and so that was you know then people then the phone started ringing a little bit more and I was like people getting offers so to speak or yeah like like you know I started getting well I ended up getting uh, not offers but definitely bigger auditions like, like I the Sopranos you did that didn't you you the know Sopranos I did I did Oklahoma on Broadway a few years later and. Wow. You know, and so like stuff started coming my way. People knew who I was and that was a difference for me, you know. Wow. Yeah. And and did that, this whole thing beget The Daily Show? Is that how that came your way? And the Daily Show came as an audition. Again, it was like one of those things. And this is where I was going back to what, you, what I said before, which was like The Daily Show, they called. And I originally was like, thought it was going to be some bullshit thing where they wanted me to come in and like, do some fucking gimmicky bullshit bullshit with an accent and all that. Yeah. Um, I only have a few minutes left by the way. So I don't know what your time frame is. Okay. All right, cool. I'll I'll get to answer this and then we'll, I don't know what what the time frame was on this. Sorry. Oh, Um, all good. I gotta go meet my wife. So, um, but, uh, you can cut that part out. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> uh, oh, I'll say the Daily Show. So yeah, they called me and they said you got an audition for the Daily Show, and um, and I said no, I don't want to go because I thought it was some bullshit thing. Yeah. So I called. I had them call back and say like, no, nah, I don't want to do it unless it's something you know real. Good. Like, yeah. And uh, and then they called back and they said, no, no, it's not like a bullshit thing. They were like, it's for a correspondent. Wow. And I said, and I remember at the time I was like writing this letter to my ex-girlfriend and I was like very sad that day. And, and cause I just found out she got engaged and it was like having one of those moments. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I was like, I was like, I'm too, I remember saying, I'm too sad today. Yeah. I was like, can I go in tomorrow? And they were like, no, if you don't go in today, that's it. They're just looking at people today. Yeah. So I was like, fine. So I like, was like, okay, I'll do it. And then I put on a suit and tie. I lived on 72nd street at the time. And I walked down to, to uh, where Daily like Show was. 52nd on West. Yeah. I used to live right there too. Yeah, yeah. So I walked down there, walked in, met John Stewart, you know. And I used to watch the show. I was sort of a fan, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then auditioned for John. And um, 
And he hired me right there. Wow. And he was like, he was like, you're on the show uh, tonight. And was that a great oh, ride for you? Huh? Was that a great ride that, you know, oh you did something God. like over a hundred episodes. And then the rest is history. And it was 10 years of like some of the most amazing stuff. And that changed, that really changed my life. You yeah. Know? You were so great. And I got to have you back. I'm going to wrap it up with a few, two final questions, but dude, I would love to pick this back up any day. You were yeah, sure. Whenever you, you want. Yeah, man. You're a legend. I could talk to you for hours, but you know, two final questions. One, what's keeping you inspired right now? Wow. What's keeping me inspired? You know, I'm always writing stuff and that's good. I like, I like try to, I mean, look right now I'm shooting evil. Yeah. And, and that's which what's blog is on CBS is a great show. You right. play and like a ghost consultant or how would you describe? Yeah. Like we're, yeah. Kind, of ghost, we're kind of modern day ghostbusters. But yeah. Like a very dark twist. Yeah. And it, it's sort a of demonic. Dark, yeah. It's a very interesting show and it's really got a great cast and the writing is amazing. And, and I, and I, and I, it's on Netflix right now. The season one is on Netflix. And so you can, you can watch, you can binge it. Yeah. It's great. Um, and uh, season two is shooting right now. And we're hoping to, we're, we're going to start airing on CBS in uh, the spring. Amazing. And it's, uh, it's so good. And, and, and I love doing it. And it's just a whole departure for me. It's a one hour drama. It's like supernatural, but also psychological. It's a thriller. It's kind of, it's, 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 it's just one of those shows that, you'll get sucked in, you know, it's yeah. one of those, it like sucks you in and suddenly you're like, uh, you know, and, and, and it's, it's just good. And, and I, uh, so, so shooting that right now keeps me inspired. Um, yeah. I had a kid, a oh. baby. Uh, Congratulations ago, again. Thank you. And he is an amazing source of inspiration for me. I just, you know, I look at him and I feel like, um, you know, it, it's just, when you are, when you have a child, you are just, you're, there's something happens to you where you literally like, emotions are just very accessible. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like as an actor, yeah. like you just have this place, this reservoir of like. Material. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because, you're, because you're just constantly feeling stuff. Yeah. Because you've got this kid, you know, this baby and like. And, 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 and I don't know, it's just something about, so lately I've just been, I've been pumped up, you know, with a yeah. lot of like creativity and emotional stuff and, and all. And I, and I, I attribute it to like becoming a father and just be, so beautiful, you know, I'll just start crying at the drop of a hat now, yeah. you know, like yeah. anything will just fucking set me off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's kind of great. And, and, and so what, and I guess, and, and that, and, you know, and then just writing and then, I like watching movies and I like watching things that inspire me like great performances or great writing that I, you know, I'll watch, I'll, I, I, you know, with the pandemic and stuff, we, my wife and I, before we had the baby. And then even when he was really little, like we'd watch movies and stuff and we'd watch old, I love old TV shows, you know, yeah. and, and stuff. And, 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 Anything that just basically like, whenever I'm feeling like sort of like not inspired, I'll just go and like watch a great movie. Yeah. A great, funny old show or something, you know? And it'll yeah. just get me. Amped to do back. what we do. Yeah. 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 You know? 
a final question because you've been such an you're truly such one of the best actors in the world and really you paved the path for so many actors that would not be able to do it now but this is my final question i know it's a tough one but for all the actors that are, are the young awesome out there that maybe don't see themselves represented in television in theater in movies and are struggling to find their way and don't have a sad card or an equity card yeah. any words of advice you would have for them uh get into tech no um, <laughs> get the money go to silicon valley invent <laughs> uh, yeah. an app no um no i think honestly just look there's so many avenues today that we didn't have when i was young to just express yourself you've got yeah. this whole internet world now you can go, you know, like, like just create, Yeah. you know, uh, Ismail Merchant once said to me, he said, you know, uh, just create. Yeah. And, and, and that's what it is. And, and when I was doing Sakina's restaurant, actually somebody gave me a, a little, a little pebble and it said create on it. And I used to have it on my dressing table every night before oh. I went on stage and it just said create Love and it. that's it. Just what a, create. What a and, beautiful and, and, and don't worry about it. You know, like even now today, I worry. I'm writing stuff, and I worry like, ah, oh, shit. You know, what am I doing? Like, oh, why am I doing this? I don't know what I'm doing. Like that. Vo those voices will always exist, and the voices of like, I'm not good enough. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I'm ugly. I'm whatever. Like, I, I'm not talented. Like, yeah. all of that shit exists, and we live in that muck all the time. And there was an exercise that was set, given to me once where you, for a period of time every day, I just take that, put it all in the box, put it aside. You can go pick it up later and just let yourself be inspired. Yeah. And when you're inspired, just create whatever it is, even if it's just whatever that means to you, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so beautiful. It means just dancing in your apartment. Uh, by yourself, just, you know, like whatever it is, just create. Yeah. And I don't know what else to say really, because there's many, many avenues to do that today that didn't exist. And then you can go back and pick up the muck and, and, and look at it again or yeah. not, you know, yeah. but, yeah. um, but those voices will always be there to sabotage you and tell you like, you're not good enough. You're not, you know, you don't have what it takes, whatever. And I had those as well. And, and you gotta like, just keep on, creating so that the universe can help you so yeah. that the universe can then come in and go, Oh, okay. That's what you want to do. Let me, let me nudge you along. And I feel like a lot of my life has been guided by forces outside of my control. Yeah. And just by me for whatever reason, naivete or just having a lot of cojones in that particular moment for some reason, like has just let the universe just guide me forward. And, and, that, and that has, um, uh, and here I am, you know, what a beautiful way to end. You're a legend, brother. I'd love to have you back and we'll pick it up and, you know, and do the, the part two. Yeah, yeah, man. And have fun with, uh, you know, who today and, uh, so much right. love, man. Thank you. You too. All right, All right brother. Talk soon. Thanks again. Okay. Bye. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. 